So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 18 through 25. If you don't have a Bible, it's there on your sheet. So let's give our attention tonight to God's Word in Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The Bible says that the grass withers and the flowers fade away, and that mankind is like the grass that withers and fades away, but the Word of God stands forever. So let's pray before we talk about it tonight. Heavenly Father, these are your words that you have inspired long ago that speak to us, that you use, that you speak through tonight. And Lord, we pray that you would be with us by your Holy Spirit as the author of these words to speak to us, that you would open our hearts that you would teach us what we don't know, that you would make us what we're not. Lord Jesus, that in short, you would be with us. And we pray that you'll do that by your Holy Spirit, in your name. Amen. My favorite comedian is a guy named Brian Regan. Uh, Some of you have made made you endure, you know, watching some of his uh, stand-up, which I think is genius. But um, one of the little skits that he does, little... uh, routines that he does is, I guess it's really the title track of one of his uh, DVDs, Uh, he he says that he has this sort of social fantasy that he wishes he could be one of the handful of guys that's that's walked on the moon, so that when he gets in those situations where people uh, play the part of the me monster, you know, where uh, you just sort of one-up each other's story and like, oh, well, that's nothing, I did this and I did that, that he could just sort of sit back and then, you know, when, when they get done, he could say, hmm, that's really interesting. I walked on the moon, right? You know, you can't top that. Uh, It's kind of the ultimate conversation ender. Um, And so reading this story, as I studied this, the story here in Matthew 1 about Jesus' birth or or really his conception, it sort of made me think about that because at first my mind ran to stories about pregnancies and, uh, you know, things like, uh, what are the shows like, I didn't know I was pregnant, right? probably seen some of those and I know every time if you're like me every time you see it like what you had to know right um I saw one where they talked about this couple now this couple had three other children and in fact the husband had had surgery to prevent uh, any further children they were they were done as far as they could uh plan with having children and it had been several years since their their last child and everything was normal about the first three kids you know she the wife gained an appropriate amount of weight and, you know, the, all the signs were there. 
And so they're just at home one evening, just kind of doing their normal routine, and all of a sudden, wife goes into labor. Okay? And so they played the 911 phone call, and you can, you can hear it in his voice, just his utter... Like, he's trying to wrap his mind around the situation. Okay, not just the fact that he's about to deliver a baby in his living room, right? That's big enough. He's still trying to wrap his mind around the fact that his wife is even pregnant, right? Because she, she had no idea. He had no clue. Um, and so as he, you can imagine that if you get into a conversation, that that, that story is going to be, that's one of those I walked on the moon stories. But I think as I, as I read this story, as incredible as, as it is, I sort of imagined if Joseph were listening to that, when that guy got done telling his story, he would say, that, that is amazing. Let me tell you the story about the birth of my first son. And it goes something like this. Uh, essentially, I found out that my fiance was pregnant. Um, and we found out because, you know, she, she started showing. And I thought that was uh, unusual at best because we had never slept together. And as far as I knew, she had not been with any other man. Uh, but here she is pregnant. And as I was trying to decide what I was going to do about that, if I was going to divorce her or not, I, an angel, a messenger from God showed up to me. And he said, don't be afraid. You need to still marry Mary. Uh, because the child that's inside of her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and he's going to be the, basically the greatest hero that the world's ever known. And he's going to save everybody, uh, all his people, from their sins. And you should name him Jesus. Right? So I think you get that story dropped on you and it's like, all right, you know, you get the blue ribbon, put the blue ribbon on his chest, you're the winner, right? Um, because the more and more I thought about this story, and really just reading it, even saying it like that, it's, I don't mean this literally, it's almost unbelievable. And the more I kept thinking about it, I just kept coming back to this idea that there is no one else in, in history whose story is like this. That Jesus, as, as the hero, which is what we're studying this semester, we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. And the Gospel of Matthew really is all about the theme of fulfillment. Matthew is laboring throughout all, whatever, 28 chapters to show us that this, this guy named Jesus, he's the fulfillment of everything that we've ever hoped for. And he's constantly going back to the Old Testament showing us this, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He's the hero. And I think what we see in this passage, uh, certainly a lot of things, but I summed it up like this, that this hero, that Jesus Christ, is utterly unique. There's never been anyone before or since like him. And I want to look at that in two ways tonight, quickly. Two things. We're going to basically ask two questions. They might be in statement form on the outline, but whatever. I want to ask two questions. Number one, what has he come to do? And number two, who is he? What's he come to do and who is he? So first, what has Jesus come to do? Our passage tells us. So last week we talked about the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. And, and we're, I'm using the term, it's, it may not be the, the best, but that, that Jesus is the ultimate hero. He's the, one that's, he's the one that God has promised to send and he's actually come for us. 
And so when, when the angel shows up and he tells Joseph to name his son, it tells us a great deal about this hero. It tells us a whole lot about what he's come to do. The angel tells Joseph to name him Jesus. And that's important because Jesus, the word Jesus literally means God saves. And now, granted, there were, it was probably a fairly common name, or it was a fairly common name. Um, but the reason the angel gives for naming Jesus, this Jesus, Jesus, is very uncommon. Look at verse 21. It says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. It says that this hero has come to save his people from their sins. And now, I want to ask you this rhetorical question. How does that strike you? When you hear that Jesus, Jesus has come to save you from your sins, how does that hit you? What does that, what does that bring to mind? Because I'm going to guess that it's probably something you've heard you know, more times than you could ever dream of counting. That it probably sort of rolls off your back like, you know, if I woke you up in the middle of the night, you know, whether you're a Christian or not, says, what, you know, what does Jesus supposedly do? Jesus saves people from their sins, right? And then it, it might well be, I thought about it like this, it might well hit us, it probably does, if you're like me, it hits you like this. Uh, sort of like if my birthday was, what, a week ago or a handful of days ago. And so this didn't literally happen, but uh, you could imagine, right? If my mom calls me, and says, or your mother calls you. If my mom called you, that would probably be weird. And said, uh, we put a card in the mail to you, and there's a little something in there for you that we think you'll appreciate. Right? And so you get the card in the mail, and you, you rip it up, and you do what? You turn it upside down, and you're ready for something to fall out. And what if nothing fell out? Like, what are you, you're hoping for either a check, cash, or some sort of good gift card, Right? Um, and if nothing falls out, and so you, you know, in your bewilderment, you turn and you look at the card, and your mother has written you this nice, you know, paragraph about how much she loves you, and, and that's what she was referring to, uh, that, that the love of your parents is, is really what she was talking about. I have a feeling that you would probably, you know, get that and be like, well, okay, okay, yeah, right, but where's the money? Or where's the iTunes gift card? That's what I asked for. And I have a feeling that if you're like me, hearing that Jesus saves you from your sins probably hits you like that. Like you get a car and you're like, I got nothing, right? Like, okay, that's nice. We got some sweet words and I'm glad my mom loves me. But I think it's interesting that the angel emphasizes this aspect of what Jesus came, comes to do. Because the people in Jesus' day were waiting. Remember, we talked about this last week. They were waiting for a hero to show up. God has been promising them somebody that was going to come and take, basically come and fight for them. Because remember, they're, um, they're sort of still in exile. They're under Roman oppression. They're not on top as God's people like they feel like they should be in, in some sense like they should be. And so they're waiting for, for the Messiah, for the hero to show up. And it's actually throughout the Old Testament that forgiveness of sins is a big part of what he's going to do. If you're a note taker, Isaiah 53, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, Psalm 130. Uh, it's, it's throughout the Old Testament. And so they have that notion 
But it definitely doesn't dominate their thinking and their hopes of what the Messiah is going to do. They're hoping for a guy that's going to show up, basically going to you know, run the Romans out of town, you know, kick butt and take names, get them out, and put, put the Jews back on top again. Give them back their land and their country so that they can be the greatest. But here the angel says, Jesus, this child is going to save his people from their sins. And so I want you to think about that. Why, out of all the things that they, that they hoped for and that God's promised, why would he lead with that foot, so to speak? And I want to suggest is this. Because that's their biggest problem. That's their biggest problem. First and foremost, these folks, the first century readers of this, their biggest problem wasn't actually Rome. In the Old Testament, the, the Israelites' biggest problem wasn't Egypt. It wasn't them. It wasn't those people. It wasn't the oppressors. Their biggest problem was themselves. And the exact same thing is true for me and you. Imagine if I, if I had told you before we kind of started this conversation, right? Uh, it's really not a conversation, I guess, just me talking, but before we started this mo- monologue. If I said, all right, I want you to write down your five biggest problems in life, the five, you know, toughest things that are going on right now, your biggest problems. If you, you know, think about them now, jot them down, what would they be? Um, you know, I'm sure you put down things like, you know, I need more money. Uh, I don't have, a, you know, struggling to pay for school and all those sorts of things. My roommate's driving me crazy. Um, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend issues, uh, don't get along with my parents, my roommate, whatever. Um, my grades are bad, I'm overweight, whatever. If I got you to think about your problems, you would probably go there. But have you ever thought, has it ever crossed your mind that the biggest problem in life, in your life, just might be you? And for me, the biggest problem in my life just might be me. That our, big, that our biggest problem aren't our circumstances. And it's not that guy and those people and that teacher. But that the biggest problem in my life is me. That my, that my heart is bad. You know, we would sum it up, the Bible sums it up by saying that we're sinners, that we have sin. But not even necessarily just the, the bad acts that we do, right? But just the very fact that it's a part of who we are in our hearts. That I'm, I'm, I literally am hell-bent. That I'm bent away from God, I'm bent away from other people, and I'm bent towards myself. And that ultimately it's ruined my relationship with other people and with God. And so... I think, it's, I think it's very interesting and amazing that, that the angel says that what Jesus has come to do is to save people from themselves. To save people from their sins. Because that's actually our biggest problem. And so I think if the fact that when you hear that, that Jesus came to save people from their sins, if that sort of ho-hum, you know, like, yeah, 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 okay, what else is new, right? Let's, let's, let's move on to the, you know, 102 portion of the class or whatever that you probably have that reaction because you haven't, you haven't taken a good look inside. And that when you do take a good look inside at your own heart, if you're honest with yourself, you're going to see a lot of junk. But there's a lot of darkness there. 
the more and more I get to know myself, the more I see that I, I, I'm not happy with. The more I see that, that I really don't care about other people, that I struggle in some ways, in some, some aspects, to love my wife and to love my kids and to love y'all and to, to love God. But Jesus comes and he says he comes and he saves me from that. Because it's our biggest problem. So that's what he says he's come to do. To save us from our sins. Secondly, this passage talks about who he is. And they go very much together. Sort of a two-parter. Because basically what we're going to see here is that Jesus, Jesus is both God and man at the same time. Utterly unique. No one else before or since has ever come and said that they're going to save people from themselves. And no one before, you know, ever before, ever since has come and actually been God and a man at the same time. Utterly unique. Look at verse 23. It says, Behold, this is a prophecy from the Old Testament. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. It comes from Isaiah 7.14. That the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now, we don't have to have the... The birds and bees talk, right? You know where babies come from. Um, and this, to say the least, is unusual, right? Um, and Matthew says that this, that this prophecy is about Jesus. It's about as, as unique as it gets. Um, the Bible says that, that Jesus, this hero, was conceived by God himself. So imagine, imagine you're Joseph and Mary and you're trying to wrap your mind around that for the first time. right? You've grown up hearing this forever and it's 2,000 some odd years old. But imagine for the first time you're trying to wrap your mind around the fact that though Mary has never slept with anyone, she's pregnant and the baby inside of her was conceived by God. It's, it's hard to wrap your mind around. Now, so we certainly don't have time to go into all the nuances of Christology, you know, the, the, the study of the person of Jesus, and hammer out all the details. But we have to see the, the sort of mind, or definitely mind-blowing truth, that Jesus is both 100% God. He's, he's, he's perfectly divine. And yet, at the very same time, he's 100% man. How do they go together? I, I don't completely know. No one, you can't completely resolve this in your mind. But the Bible just holds them both up as true. He was, he was a real man. Was and is a real man. Jesus still has a body. Flesh and blood, just like me and you. And yet he is God himself. So what does that mean? A handful of scriptures. Jesus is the son of God. Now think about that. The, the very maker of the universe... The God that made everything that you've ever seen or known or thought about. And the God that made you. He took on flesh and he came and and walked around with us. He came and lived in, in the middle of us. He's the Son of God. Matthew 3, 17. God the Father says, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus has all... Even though he's his son, he has always existed. And he's always been equal with God. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John hammers out that 
the word is Jesus. Jesus has always been. Colossians 2.15 says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 19, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Uh, One theologian explained it like this, that Jesus, Jesus explains God. If you wonder, what, what is God like? You read the Old Testament and you get a, a sense for what he's like. I want to know what he's like. He's like Jesus. Jesus explains God to us. All right, so just a few applications and we'll be done. So what does it mean? How do we apply that? What does it mean for us that Jesus is both divine, he is 100% God, and yet he is 100% mankind, 100% human? Well, certainly, you know, you could spend all semester and in some sense, the rest of your life, hammering that out. But I'm just going to mention a few highlights. I think we've got three. First application is this. The first thing I think that we need to do with that is that you actually don't do anything with it. When you hear that this hero has showed up and that it's actually the very God that made us and that he took on flesh and he came and he lived in our... He came as a baby... And he lived in our midst, a poor baby at that. And then he came to give himself for our sins. I would suggest to you, and this might sound weird, that the first thing that you really should do with that is is nothing. That you just sit, that you just sit and be still and know that God is good. I think sometimes the best application is not something to go do or go think or go, you know, act like. It's just, you just have to dwell in that truth. Just let that soak in. I think, you need to, I think we need to meditate on that. Just dwell in the truth that Jesus, that God came and took on flesh for us. It just is. It's a truth that just is. Secondly, I think it means this. It means that we have a savior, or a hero as we're going to say this semester, that can actually do what he came to do. Now think about that. Anybody could, a lot of people could say that they could save you from their sins, right? A lot of people could say that they could make your life better. But we actually have a hero in the person of Jesus Christ that can actually do what he said he came to do. Because he is, because he is God, he can actually bring about the very salvation that he's talked about and that he's promised us. You know, last week we saw that Jesus was in the line of David, right? And this, that he uh, fulfilled the promise of David. But the truth of the matter is that somebody from the line of David, if it were just somebody from David's line, it just wouldn't be enough. Because our problem, we don't need a great, we don't need just a great king, you know, somebody to come and rule and take over and, and run out the, you know, the, the, the enemy, the, the country that oppresses us or whatever. That, that wouldn't cut it. We need somebody, because the problem is not an enemy, the problem is, is me. The problem is inside of me, it's in my heart. It's not even something that I can, it's not something I can fix. And so what we need is a savior that's perfect. I had a, when I did youth group years ago, had a youth grouper ask me, um, 
why, I think they said, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And I said, well, well what do you mean by that? And I said, well, why couldn't like Moses die on the cross or David or somebody? And that, sounds, that might sound like a silly question at first, but that's actually a brilliant question. And so think about the answer. Because actually, interestingly enough, at least Moses, Moses tried to die for his people. I, I don't have the reference, but uh, basically God gets upset with the Israelites and he said, basically says, Moses, I'm going to start over with you. I'm going to wipe out all these people. And Moses says, no, 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 please don't do that for your sake. Take me instead. He tries to do it and God says, no, it won't work. And so he has mercy on, on his people because the mediator stood in their place. Um, so why won't Moses work? Because Moses was a great guy in a lot of ways. But you know, at the end of the day, he was still a sinner, just like me and you. Moses was still just a messed up dude. As great as he was, and, he, and no doubt he was great in so many ways, but he was, still just, he was still just another guy that had a lot of problems. And so if Moses can't stand in your place, because if your sin, if my sin is an offense against an infin, infinitely holy God, then what I need is a sacrifice that's going to cover that. I need something that's infinitely holy to stand in my place. And so it has to be, it has to be this way. Jesus has to come as a man so he can take our place and yet be God so he can fulfill our righteousness, which we'll talk about next week. Only God can do that. Thirdly and finally, it means that we have a Savior that in all his transcendence, that he is, he is God himself. He's God that in all his transcendence, this passage says, even so, he's with us. He says, they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want you to think of, we're ending with this. Think about the beauty of the fact that God doesn't just promise to save you from yourself. He doesn't just save you by working it out somehow. He doesn't just, you know, send somebody to go take care of that for him, send a, you know, Sends one of his interns to go, go take care of that. He cares about us so much that he comes himself, that he enters into the problem and the chaos with us. He doesn't just stand back from a distance and, and tell us how to fix it. And say, so, well, if you'll just start doing this, if you'll just act right. He comes and he gets in the middle of it with us. And what a beautiful thought that we have a God that is with us. That you can have a, that you could know that you have the comfort of a God that is with you. Miles, our, my three-year-old son, uh, you know, a lot of times, especially if he's unsure about something, you know, uh, going into a room that, you know, like send him into Sunday school or whatever, kind of a new room that he hasn't gone in the church or some new, you know, go up and speak to somebody that he doesn't know. And he'll say something like, Daddy, will you, will you come with me? Will you come with me? You know, and what do I say? No, go, you know, no. Of course I go with him, right? Um, but even sometimes when it's not something, uh, you know, unusual, something that makes him scared, sometimes you're sitting watching, watching TV and he'll come up and he'll say, Daddy, can I sit with you? I say, sure, buddy, come on, come sit with me. Why does he do that? Because he loves to have the comfort of knowing 
that he's with his daddy. Because when he's with his daddy, as, as flawed as I am to a three-year-old, right, everything's okay. I mean, to him, I can take care of anything. And he loves to be in that, in that place where everything's okay because his daddy is with him. And interestingly enough, when he gets in trouble and we discipline him by whatever, you can tell that all he wants to do, he wants that to be restored. He wants to make that right because he wants daddy to be with him. What a great thing to know. This passage tells us that Jesus is utterly unique because even though he's God himself, he comes and he's with you. You have a God that goes with you when life is coming apart at the seams. When when your girlfriend or boyfriend leaves you, you have a God that is with you. When somebody that you love dies or is sick, you have a God that is with you. When your world falls apart because you're your, uh, your major, you switch majors and your, your grades collapse or whatever it is. You get fired from your job. Uh, you, get, you get cut from your sorority. Um, you know, whatever it is, you have a God that is with you. He walks through it with you. And he does it no matter what the cost. Because to me and you, this is free. And that's an invitation to you. It's offered to you for free. But it's going to cost Jesus a whole lot. Even though he's the God of the universe, he comes in the person of of Jesus so that he can be with you. And he hangs himself on a cross. He submits himself to that. Why? So that he can be with you. So that he can be with me. And at the end of Matthew, he's going to say this. Right, this is after his death, after his resurrection. Sort of a, you know, here we have it in Matthew 1, Matthew 28. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You have a God that's come, is utterly unique because he offers to be with you. It's offered to you tonight. Won't you take it? Let's pray. Jesus, we can never plumb the depths of the truth that you are with us. We can never plumb the depths of the truth that you came, even though you had the glories of heaven, that you left them, and you came and you put yourself in the midst of a, of a sinful and broken world, and you subjected yourself to awful treatment, and you did it because you love us. You did it to save us from ourselves, because we're the problem. Jesus, what a beautiful thing that you say that basically you'll make it all better. I pray that that would be true of all of us tonight, and if it's not, would you make it so? We ask it, Jesus, in your name. Amen.